Should we start with Crossfire? A couple headers talking about sure. Crossfire. I, I feel like that's that's the most interesting thing to me, right? Is all summer long, like they beat up this role with judges, right? Like mm-hmm. I know Wesley had a lot to do with it and a few guys this winter and like uh, Brooks kind of helping these guys out, right? Like, right. We did and, that at Thorpe's house last, uh, was it spring? We did the, they flew in, or was it last year before the NFR? I can't remember. They flew in all the judges though, all the A judges to Thorpe's house and they did like a, well, they did it in Fort Worth for a couple of days. They did like video review of it and then they did the like live runs just to kind of showcase them and have Brooke help them what he sees and kind of talk it through with the guy that flags probably more team roping than anybody else. And yeah. So they did that. I mean, they've tried to do the right stuff for them. Well, and I think from like just my perspective um, is there's this half hop at the end of the switch, right. right? Like it's like when the kind of the hips hit out, it's like that little quick hop. And I feel like that's exactly what where Logan healed. Yeah. I feel like it's hard Last for to see, like, especially with guys like Logan, Levi Lord, like guys that like throw fast, you know, like they're not fast, but how do you like their their delivery time is quick. Like they come out of their swing fast, like And sometimes yeah. the feet are going down too. Well, like, like they pick the feet off, you know, yeah. like they're so their timing is just quick right there. And the way the rule reads is that after the direction change the forward motion of the feet the rope can hit the feet when the like the rope can hit the feet when they're going forward motion out of the hip change so it has nothing to do with your delivery it's where the rope makes contact with the leg and when guys do it like that when they can pick the feet off quick like that it almost looks like they they roped in sooner than they did right like because they they showed a picture today some guys on facebook of logan where the steer's hips were switched and Logan still had his rope in his hand. And it's it's so hard to see because with Logan, he can just come out of it and get him right there, right? Like some yeah. guys use the big stiff power lines and it, it takes longer, but Logan can pick the feet off so quick right there in real time. It is probably really hard to watch and to pick up what's happening, especially when you're you're caught behind the run, right? Like where them guys are flagging from, there's no proper place that you can flag from, but when they start in that corner, the run shapes up and you're almost blocked from your heel horse of what is actually happening with the cow. I'd be interested. I mean, surely of all people, the judges are the ones that are pushing a video replay. I mean, how how wouldn't they be, right? Like, they don't want to screw up. They don't want to make the wrong call. Like, that guy doesn't get satisfaction out of going home and saying, you know, I just cost them guys the world record, right? Like, that's he's not after that. Nobody wants to wish bad upon people. I mean, he made the call that he thought was right. I'm sure if he could just watch it in slow motion and it, it was the wrong call, why not change it, right? I mean, surely of all people, the judges are the ones that are wanting it just as bad as we are. Well, and I think too, it's the angles, like having a second judge look at it. I don't know that that helped any. In fact, no, that I made think it that, worse, yeah, honestly, that, because then it was just two indecisive people. Like, Yeah, and the other thing that's... I think this is the hardest one as far as like how to like talk about it or communicate it, especially if you don't rope a lot, like at a real, real high level right. is uh, how the healer and the heel horse presents the, the turn. Right. Yep. So it's like the further inside you are, if you're roping them right there in that, like right. that spot, it looks more like crossfire. That's where. why I like the, that's was my favorite thing about the new rules, how it read was it had not, 
you could stop watching the position or the entry or how your horse framed up because all that mattered is when your rope made contact with the feet. Yeah. And I thought that would help a lot, but it's such, I mean, it happened in 3.1 seconds. Like, so the time that the actual heel shot happened is so fast. And then just, I mean, the decision-making is fast also. Like it, it's a really hard deal. I mean, it's a helpless job and I don't know. I sure hope that the video replay comes in there. Just, I don't see why it won't, honestly. I think they could do it this week. At the NFR, I think it works, right? I don't know that it's going to be a very easy thing to do, like, at all the rodeos, right? right. Just because, like, the cameras and just, like, I don't think the, the videography ties in real well and, like, getting, like, judges' replays, like, just from, like, my experience. Like, yeah. It'd be, like, it'd be a whole... Like you'd need a replay area. You'd have to have cameras that can specifically get that, and like yeah. maybe videographers that haven't shot it. So I don't know that it's like like something you could do out throughout the summer. I mean, you could do it at bigger rodeos. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what we did in Canada this year. Was we started off at one tour rodeo, and then and now it's in place for the tour rodeos, and we did it at the Canadian finals also. And you just have another judge sitting in a different location with access to the cameras. And yeah. the Canadian finals, if something went wrong, there was a flag to be thrown. And there was a fine to be thrown if your flag was, if the, there was a fine if your call went the wrong way. Just kind of, I mean. How much is the fine? It was like 500 bucks, I think. Ooh. How many times did they throw a flag? They didn't once. I think they might have been a rough stock at the Canadian finals, but they didn't in the, any kind of an in. I got you. Yeah, I, I think there's, to me, there's a spot for it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, the other deal is, if you if you study like where the cameras show it because they i mean like last night they sent me the the run and i had a buddy just asking me he's like did you think it was crossfire and then i was like yeah no maybe probably not right. I, like that's literally like well, my if text you just messages, watch you know it, what i mean you're like if you're just like you just turn it on and you watch it and you're like gosh damn that was close yeah but then you have the capability of going in slow motion you see where the steer hits he comes out of it then logan's rope makes contact and then you're like well but then you rewatch it again in fast or normal speed. You're like, gosh, I don't know. Like, yeah, that it's such a hard deal. And I mean, that guy's sitting there and it, it, his decision happens now. Right. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible spot. And I don't think they want to get it wrong. Like you're no, saying, like, I, mean, I, think I, that's... I don't see, I mean, of course there's, I mean, it's the world. There's going to be people that are mad about something or, but nobody's going to sit there in the rodeo world and say, I want Logan Medlin to heal the crap out of one, have the chance at a world record, and I'm going to be the guy that give him a no time. Yeah. Like, that's not happening. I mean, there's no way he's sitting there or he's happy that he gives him a no time. Like, I mean, everybody wants the best for each other, right? And then the other thing I, I was thinking about this, I was like, as I watched the run, I was like, no way that was 3-1. Like, I was like... It just in my messages, like back and forth with my buddy, I was like, that was probably like, it looked like three, six to me. Yeah. And then I get watching it and I'm like, that's pretty fast. There's like, amazing. I mean, it, it probably was three, one. Well, I mean, and today, the, this morning, three, nine, one, with a three, nine, one, six. Yeah. I think Driggers was last out three, nine, one, six place. Four flat didn't win money. So what do you think about that with like, when it gets fast like this, obviously, the barrier like kind of tell me what you like the, like the barrier feels like and kind of the steers play like over there in the thomas and that the the hardest part like watching it 
reliving it is trusting that the barrier is as fast as it is. Trusting that that steer is going to fall out of there and get get going. I mean, it's a World Series start, basically, right? Like, is well, it, it as close to a World Series start as you can? Yeah, like uh, for instance, like the other night when Ren Richard, I think it was maybe last night, two nights ago, he ran the steer that T Wade and Thorpe run the first time that which one Andrew, butt and yeah, went off to the right, and Andrew ran him like running through. I just remember, but yeah, he shared the run who running through, but he didn't start. Like he like didn't go with, but the, he hauled butt yeah. for T Wade. And Terrible. like Ren was like, when the prefer starts to make the sound, like I'm going. Yeah. And Ren's horses just stand there and he did. He stood there and when that gate went, he just, and I mean, he was in the barrier, but it, the hardest part is just trusting that that is going to work. Yeah. I, I Especially for how his run shapes up. You know, I think it's different for Driggers or guys that aren't, like Driggers is so good with this rope right there. Like, the barrier for me personally, when I when I think about it, it's like almost take the barrier out of the picture. It's almost like you're scoring to find a place to throw your rope. That's how I think about it. Like you're scoring to find where you want to be through the lane to for you to head the cow as quick as you can. Or like if you want to be close, like Ren, he's really using this horse this week. I mean, you're gonna have to pick the barrier off. Where watching Driggers, it's almost like he's scoring for where his range is comfortable right now especially where he's pushing. You know what I mean? Like he's trying to win go rounds. So how I'm thinking if I'm in that position is I'm going to score and I want to hit the, I want to hit the mouth of the box where I like to rope the horns is how I would be thinking about my scoring. And it's different too. Cause there's, I mean, you, where you go to the Canadian rodeos, you get a lot of the, the hockey yeah. arenas, but the, is it a 15 and a half foot box? Or? No, it's 16, but the Canadian deal is different because they rope those big, Longhorns, or you got to score. What's well, weird? It's like the gates open and then they go. Right. Where like right now with those Mexicans, when they when they go, they're freaking pushing and pulling away from you. So it's faster in the Thomas and Mac than it is anything up there. Not not necessarily shorter, but it, it's more true. Like it, you got to be on go a lot, a lot truer. What does it do to you when you're like that close to the steer when you nod your head too? Because that's like that's the yeah. other thing, right? Is how many? Well, that was what I fought when I was in the Thomas and Mac. Is looking back on it, what I struggled with is I was either overrunning the cow because my black horse was so fast, like I wasn't thinking about heading the cow. I was thinking about nailing the barrier. So now my target is just fluctuating so much. And then there's also where you get beat, and then now the steer's pulling away from you because he's stronger. So that's why I'm saying what I was saying. Like when I'm going fast, I really think about not necessarily what the start is. It's almost like the barriers are relevant. It's like, I'm just trying to hit the mouth of the box where I'm comfortable heading the horns is all I'm truly thinking about. And that's a completely different mindset to rodeo in all year. Almost like I'd say a high percentage of the rodeos right there, 17 to, I mean, probably a, another foot or so, foot right. and a half in most of the boxes yep. and the barriers tail to the pin or something like that yep. so you're sitting there it's like you have to ride right like it's almost yeah you have to ride score ride rope right yeah and it still kind of is that i mean you still have to score because no matter what you're doing in the, in the thomas and mac or anything your horse's front feet have to be on the ground and i think that comes from good scoring where you can't go to clutch go i mean it's just go and let your horse catch a stride right so it's still score ride rope it's just the scoring and the riding part is kind of merged into one because you're just trying to find that that sweet spot to catch through it where 
your horse, your steer, everything's matched the speed of the cow and you can just wear the horns out. Do you think that's like one of the hardest things to know as a header is like, I, I think if we like knowing your run, right? Like, I think the, the hardest part, I guess what I cut you off, but the hardest part is trusting your run where you know what it is. I mean, you can lay in bed and you know what works, but to back in there and say driggers or squeeze a, do the stuff they do with their head rope and then to be next and back in there and do what you are going to do, what works for you personally, not try to do that because you could, you could do it, but it's what works for you. So trusting what your run is. Well, yeah, because that, that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Is right. uh, you, I think you have to take Dustin. There's a, a handful of headers you just take out of the equation, but like Dustin, Caleb, T Wade, that can Tanner T. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they reach so well. Like they reach at the end of the rope so well. It's very comfortable for them, yeah. right? And I think like to me, I'm more like in a jackpot mode with this. But if you have a run that you really like, like like let's say it's anywhere from like my like like a half coil to one and a half coils. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of your shot. I feel like if you're aggressively looking for that, that's, it's, I think that's one of the ways that like, if you can stay in that mind frame, it makes it real easy to like, well, A, you're really clear all that day on like what your run is going to be. Yep. And I think it makes winning really easy. Like, I, I think that's where people get in a bind in like short rounds and in third rounds where they put a clock on them when it's like, oh, you just have to catch. Right. And even if you run to the same spot and you kind of are conservative when you do it, or you're not like that same, like, there's my shot, take it mentality. Yep. I think that that's that changes, right? And I think that's a, as a header, like being, being really clear on what your run is. Yep. I think that like translates to winning, right? Yeah, that's funny you say that. My dad, when I was a kid roping with him all the time, and no matter the situation, it was always like, you work so hard to find that shot why not take it, right? Like there was times where all you had to be was eight, five to win the jackpot, right? And then you swing through it or you split the horns or maybe you do win the roping, but you're eight, four, right? Like, it's just like, you work so hard to find that spot. When you find it, why not take it? I mean, that was something he was always talking about, which I think is really true. I mean, if you score and you hit the barrier and your throw's there, you throw because you know you're going to catch, why not throw your rope? Yeah, I, I, I really experienced this one day, and it was at a, it's like it was a real small open roping, and uh, I was making a lot of mid six second runs, and I was just kind of like my comfortable run, like I feel like I can just. But then I got to a spot where I was high call and had to be nine five, <laughs> and I like I really rode my horse like more, and I packed my rope more than I was, yep. and there was like nothing was different other than I just was gonna not right, and and what happened was I got when I got to the spot, my horse got a little closer than like I was wanting to be. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like my swing was slow. Everything was like, I was having to think through everything. And right. like, I, I like missed the right horn kind of, and it like, <laughs> I had like, I caught the left horn and like it fell on his head, but it was like, I knew I had missed before I'd like throw my rope and right. I couldn't get my rope in the right spot. And it was all like, just because I'd got out of like that, that kind of that aggressive. Yeah my run like state of mind and i think that's it's hard because when you rodeo like i think you just got to constantly stretch that out right, right. like you kind of got to know well tell me if this is wrong because i i, I want to know what you think about this but it seems like the guys that you see get like that i think are great 
rodeo guys. Like I, I think like Driggers is a good example is that you just use for this is he's got his rope pointed in a spot, probably more to where he's going to win money in there that like in the arena, that's where it's pointed. Right. Yeah. Like he doesn't care how far they are away. That's where he's going to turn the steer at. So that's kind of like, that's a, a different than like riding your horse and trying to get to one or two coils. It's more like, Hey, when we get one and a half strides across the mouth of the box, right. I'm firing it. So the way I, is that, I mean, how I see it is like watching clay trying jackpot is what, what I think of it. It's like that guy, it looks like he draws a line in the arena and it's like, I'm not going by there today. And if he can run close and be five or six with using no rope, that's what he's going to do. But if he draws a runner, he's freaking sending it because he's turning them in, at that spot. And I think that's why when that guy, you don't usually see Clay try and win third through fifth at a jackpot. Like it's usually first or second or something happened, right? Like I think that's why he's so great is that dude wins ropings. I mean, the highest percentage is played to, paid to first and that guy wins first a lot. And I, that how you explain what you see when you see Drigger's rodeos, especially what I see when I see Clay try and jackpot. It's like that dude's drawing a spot in the sand. It's like, I'm not going past that today. That's where I'm throwing my rope. I'm just going to ride or die with it. Dude, I, I think it's something to pay attention to. Like I, I do a lot when I, when I rope is my tracks. Like if I'm making jackpot runs or whatever type of run, I try to keep them within about a 20 foot area. Like right. that's when I feel like, all right, it's pretty dialed in. I, I got, I got a funny one for you about this. <laughs> so I, I had uh, a few years ago when Jake and Clay were roping together, Jake Long lives right down the road. Right. So he come over and healing. And I like, it took me a few days, but like I had a good day of heading. I was like, man, I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> and Jake's honest with me. And I really appreciate like that he's honest. And I, like I had, you know, probably spun him whatever, 20, 30 steers in a certain area. And I was like, what does that feel like compared to your header? Cause I, I just was like, he'll give me a real answer. Right. And I thought I'd headed about as good as I could. Right. And he's like, man, it's, it's good. But the difference is they're 20 foot to 30 foot closer towards the box right. with him. And, and they like, I got, I was sad when I heard it, but then, you know what I mean? But it just meant that like, I kind of had to evaluate that was, I actually wasn't reaching as much as like he will. Right. Yeah, and it's not even reaching. I think I, I wasn't here obviously, but you probably watched film and it's like, you would probably almost hit him in the same spot, but where you actually turned him, like just knowing how Clay Tryon does it. Like when that, he puts some horses in the spot as he's heading the cow. So when that dude wears the horns out, they're freaking legal. Like there's no wasted motions with that guy. I mean, that's probably, I mean, picturing how a heather would feel, that's what I'm seeing. Like we all throw pretty relevant to each other. I mean, there's obviously the guys that are outrageously talented with their head rope. But I feel like guys that ride their horse and turn the cow, we're all throwing relevantly close to each other. It's just where the waste in motion happens is what makes the great guys great, I feel like. Yeah, it's that as you're throwing your rope, horses are moving up and out more. Yeah, like, just, and it's, a, it's a time event, right? So the ticking clock is losing money. And I think this is like, if you want to start advancing you're heading right like as you want to go from a probably a five to this the six seven header like that's the 
the stage that you can like really pay attention to yep. is where you had the steer to where you're turning them at, right? And this is something that I think for anyone listening could probably, it, it could get them in a bind really easy. Oh, yeah. Uh, so probably should cover this maybe with some extra <laughs> video shoots a little bit, but uh, maybe, maybe we'll do a rundown on it. But you know what I mean? I think it is, uh, there's this fine line because it feels like you're kind of overtaking the cow a little bit. You widen when you do it. Yeah. So it's like, you you don't like rope going the same speed or like rated off from the steer. It's like you're roping as you're going the same speed or a tick faster yeah, kind for of that feeling. Split second. Yep. And it's just and then it's just kind of a up and out to the left motion. Like mm -hmm. it's um like your peripheral vision, like right out of your left like left view is kind of where you're heading. Right. Like you're not headed left. It's just headed towards kind of the left corner of the arena as you're yep. like throwing your head rope. Yep. And I think what's cool about that is that I think is something to, that's really hard for me. I know, and it had been for a long time, or I'm, I'm sure it still is, is when you're rodeoing, you focus so much on the horns and heading the steer, right? Yep. And I think that's why you want to get so good at knowing your shots, because if you can slow down that next spot in your mind, right. that's, I think, how you can really speed up the run, because you can really make sure your horses move correct through there. You can keep the steer's momentum moving really fast through the turn, but really controlled. Right. And it's where you can start making these crazy four-second runs in the in the middle of the arena yep. you know and I over think, and over again yeah like all day mm -hmm. like clay china is kind of the first guy to master it and over the last handful of years maybe it seems right. like there's the secrets out you yeah know i was I mean? just watching him i mean the way he does this the horse and the turn and everything it's like you watch that and it's not how you would draw it up mentally until you put a like a stop clock to it right and it's like wow there was not any wasted time in that and i just think it's Part of being a professional is finding out i mean he did it he figured out what works for him and the best way he can do it over and over again and he did it i mean yeah and i think a good one to pay attention to is when the steers are slow yeah because you'll speed them up almost like if you've got a steer that's like almost feels like he's dying down as you're heading him he'll speed them up yeah, but he doesn't crazy. like whip them you know what i mean they don't they like you got to kind of hit them hard to mm -hmm. do it but it's such a, a deal where he, he takes it's just a four or five sport. cows and turns them into four seconds. There's so many different ways to accomplish the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so many ways. I right. mean, you can let, I mean, you watch Perfect the Thomas and Mac. I mean, there's 15 different ways to head a cow and they're all considered the greatest right now. I mean, that's, it's a crazy sport. There's a lot of different variables to it and a lot of different ways to master it. So tell me about the rodeo on this summer. Like, what what did the rodeos feel like to you um, just this summer? Was it different than the years past or what did it look like? Yeah, this year, well, this spring, I sold my good horse to Driggers before, right before California. I sold them and I bought a couple. I didn't really love them. And it just kind of felt like it was a time where I needed to either buy one that I loved or or kind of take a step back. And I wanted to buy one, but I couldn't find one that I wanted. I tried a lot of them. So I went to Canada this summer, rodeoed up there all year. I went to 75 rodeos. I mean, I rodeoed. I went to 75 rodeos, but 48 of them were in Canada this year. And I got to spend a lot of time up there. I went shopping for horses and I found one that I really like. And 
it kind of felt like just finding a new a new run like trusting trusting this horse trusting what i had going on and went back down to the northwest and it felt good i i had i had a decent in the northwest and i really like this new horse that i have he feels he feels comfortable with me he's a lot of horse and he feels like i can make the runs that i want on him do you think head horses well, i mean why do guys have to or try so many head horses like what what is the deal with rodeoing and and having a, a stack of head horses why guys want to have so many i well i think it's just you're trying to find that one i mean that one special one that and everybody has that different feel but i mean everybody has that one horse not very often do guys get to say you know i had five of the horses so you're always you have to try them in case any of them have that feel and i mean they freaking step on a rock in a parking lot they're sore for two weeks and then maybe them two weeks are spanish fork and salt lake city well you have to have something else because those are the best two weeks of the year i mean look what that did for t wade and thorpe like yeah tyler he, went from not in not the top, relevant to yeah. being top five in the world but yeah. what i'm getting at is like, you have to have options because what the what if seems to always happen to the ones that matter like you're gonna have five dinks in the back and you can't do anything to them but you have one good one and he eats the wrong speck of grass and now he's trying to die like it's just you have to have options i feel like and and then when you start getting more advanced to that there's they're still animals right so they're still creatures of habit so each of them are different in situations where one's better in places and one's not and when you have the options like that like you look at Driggers, Ren Richard, you know, Clay Smith, these guys that have options on horses and know where to ride them and know when to use the right one. I feel like that's just when things start really, really taking off, like having the horsepower, having the options to ride the best one in that situation. And then what that does for your confidence is crazy. I know when you load three or four good head horses on a trailer, it's different than loading one. Like it's, it's a lot different. Being able to play some, um, do you think it It seems like a lot of them maybe kind of burn out? Or what do you think as far as like, like not burn out, but... They're smart. I mean, they're creatures of habit. They, right. they, they figure it out. When you score, you see point, you ride them to a spot and you turn them for two or three years. This, I mean, it takes a special horse to not catch on to what you're doing, right? I mean, it's, I feel like that's something you can't stop from happening. It's just, they're going to figure it out. And I feel like that's kind of when they get fun. I mean, look at Clint Summers right now. Like that head horse used to be the best head horse in the world. That's Salinas, BFI, everywhere. And then not that he got smart, but he got old, right? He got seasoned. But then now you just keep him to where he's great like that. Keep him on ice, keep him in shape. And you get to back him in there and you get to ride one of the best head horses in the world for 10 nights of the year. I mean, what that does to your confidence is crazy. Like, that's cool. I think when you can ride one through the greatness and then keep them part of the program and keep them around for what they still are good. I think that's super cool. Right. Well, and I, th I think that offers maybe even a little more longevity, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you're not, but it takes a special one to do that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a once in a lifetime horse, you know, and there's a lot of guys that have got to call that horse their once in a lifetime horse. And the, just you get so much out of him like i said he was great long scores and now he's great in there i mean that's really cool for that horse to go through all of that and still be relevant and still be great 
Well, and Clint had horse of the year this year too. Mm-hmm. And at uh oh the what's the rodeo there in North Dakota or South Dakota? What am I thinking of? The Governor's Cup. Oh, Governor's yeah. Cup. When it come to like making the finals, like well, there's a reason that dude's made the finals the last few years. I mean, we all rope good. I mean, yeah. there's there's I don't know the number, but there's guys that head great, right? But he's done such a good job of being relevant in the head horse game, and he still is. I mean, he's still buying the right ones, and there's a reason that guy's there. I think he's done the right stuff. Yeah. Can you imagine having head horse of the year and then getting on one that you think is better? Obvi- I mean, obviously, yeah, he super thinks it's cool better. He was able right? to do that. I yeah. Mean, that's, hats off to him. That's, that's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes, finding a way to not finding a way, but having the mindset to keep looking. Like when you have transmission, it'd be easy to say, oh, I've got transmission. But that dude's feet kept moving. Like he stayed busy. He kept surrounding himself with great head horses. And I mean, look what it's done for him. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's the longevity, right? That's, that's yeah. the thing. And, and you can kind of, I don't know. I just kind of always looked at it like it's a team. Well, right? it's just, it never, you can never settle. That's one thing I have learned is, once you think you're in a good spot, you're, you're screwed. I mean, you can never stop looking or trying head horses. It's always moving, right? You're never like staying put. It's either yeah. going better or worse. It well, seems it, like. Yeah. It's just, if one falls off, now you only have two or now you only have one. It's like, you have to stay busy. You have to keep trying and you have to keep trying them because maybe the next one you ride is substantially better than anything you got. Like, yeah. I mean, no matter what you have, there's always probably better. And whenever you have a better head horse, all it's going to mean is a better career, better healers, better bank account, better everything. It's better life. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a, uh, it's tough, right? Cause it's keeping them working, knowing that they're probably going to get a little bit smart to it, knowing that it, even just traveling that, that much throughout towards the end of the year and being able to know like, Hey, maybe if right. I can give this horse a little time off and not take a step down with head horses, that might make a difference just in 10, 20, 30,000. And yep. that's sometimes the difference between a world title or making yeah, when the you NFL can let or, one stand for two weeks and then crack them back out rather than hauling them all over the world for five months, you know, keep rotating them. I, th- I think there's, it's just, they're, I mean, they're athletes too. I mean, they need breaks also. What do you think about the amount of native cattle that we wrote now at the rodeos compared to? Man, it seemed like six, eight years ago. That's such a tricky deal because I want to sit here and say, man, you know, we have to rope Mexicans, right? Like, and I do, I do believe that. Grandstand, let's do it. Right. I mean, I believe we have to rope Mexicans, but in saying that, I can't imagine what it's like being a cattle guy, uh, a producer, shoot, even our director right now. Like, we all want to rope Mexicans. They want to provide Mexicans. I mean- our director wants us to rope Mexicans, but they're $1,100 a head. Right. And what do you do when you're done with them? Like, I mean, there's only a few places in, in America that'll butcher them, Like, it's insane. I mean, and now natives are expensive too. I mean, it sucks because it's so easy to sit here and complain about the steers that we rope some places. And well, but at least we have steers to rope saying that also. I think there's a lot of, uh, like the native cattle are not necessarily bad to rope. No, but they just figure it out. They're just, they get tricks. That's the thing, right? They figure and it out. They get soft. Mexicans um, do too, but 
they're trainable, I feel like. And when they get in a good spot with the right feed program, they stay better for a long time. And Mexicans just roll better. Better to head, better to heal. Dude, you can have, action. You can have 15 natives in your practice pen and you can rope them. And you think, man, my head horses felt good today. My heading felt good today. And then you bring in Mexicans and you're like, wow, it's a different sport. Like, and when you have it figured out in a Mexican and your run shape up on a Mexican, it feels a thousand times better than it does roping natives. I feel like they're bigger bone, bigger their strides body, are longer, your longer swing stride. gets better, your horses get better. I just feel like there's so much to rope in a Mexican. More horn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're true too. That's the other thing. Like I, I think the, the big thing with all that added to it, they heal like real true. Like they hop, they don't. Yeah. You give me some natives and a heel rope and I will be after them. Yeah. You give me some Mexicans and a heel rope, I will be devastated. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's quite it's a, a humbling sport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's tough, right? Because I think the other thing, when you look at it from the producer standpoint, it, I think with what the, U, what the World Series did with the 80% payback was great, right? Until you're like, well, well, that's what we paid to rope natives instead, right? right? And then like the producers, like even like Ben Tibbetts, he ropes uh, Coriani's quite often up like up where we're at, right? Mm-hmm. And his World Series are up and you're like, you know, it's probably tougher to make work, but you're like, man, it's, that's, a, that's a crazy deal to do. I think that's producers that do try that and, and pull it off. It's great. And so I think it's, that's kind of the tough spot is there's less money in it um, with 80% payback for the producer. Yep. And I think that's kind of created a bigger market for the native cattle and harder to make the, the Mexicans work. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's weird too. I mean, I remember the first couple of years that I was down in the States going to the US tier C finals and you drove those Mexicans that were big and their tails are dragging on the ground. Like you watch old school videos of the, of the US tier C finals and you're like, wow. And then now they have the feedlots where they're almost just like a native with an M brand, right? So it's, I still, I do feel like the M brands are changing also. Like we're getting more of a feedlot cow, raise rope and steer than we are getting like a true Mexican, what we grew up thinking was a Mexican. When Hunter and I roped in 2020, Bobby Joe brought us steers for the tiny event to break in and he brought us one. His, his horns were wider than the stable, like the base of him. It was humongous. Right. And Bobby Joe had a video of this deer pulling a plow, like had a harness on. <laughs> it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I would rope this steer. I could go up there. I could wear his horns out. And if I was just being a modest, like catching the steer, turning him off, this steer would take his horns and rub his shoulder and take my head rope off before I could turn him. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. But his tail drug on the ground like he was a... He was like, he, they bought him from a family, like a family raised that, that yeah. rope and steer. So we crossed a lot of them and uh, every once in a while, like one would just like, I remember one day one just walked up to my mom and she just started petting him. And like pretty soon we opened the gate and he's just following you around like a dog. And, and you just would like, you get something like we're pets, right? right. So it's like, there's all these cattle were just gathered up. It seemed like there's a lot of a lot of people that maybe just had a Did handful. Did you name him Ferdinand? Uh, we named him Norman. Norman. <laughs> Norman. <laughs> yeah, Norman. <laughs> Ferdinand was it was a close second. Though. <laughs> but yeah, you'd get those, or you'd get ones that um, they would like lead the rope oh, real yeah. bad because they'd been tied up. Mm-hmm. Like you knew they'd been like that's they just literally had them tied up. I mean, in they're, like a they're yard. smart animals. Like they're yeah. trainable. That's my favorite thing about them, though. If they get 
kind of soft or they get sorry, like you can show them what's right. And if you do that enough times, they kind of latch on. Like there's so many guys in Arizona that have 10 Mexicans that they've roped for the last four years. Like they just, those are their practice tiers and they're just awesome. Yeah. I, the biggest difference at the end of the day is how much a native like changes, right? They like, they change fast. Like, Hey, like, well, let's the BFI, for example, a few years ago, rope native cattle. Right. And maybe the first round or two, it felt like BFI. Right. But by the third, fourth, fifth rounds, yeah. it was the fastest BFI we'd ever seen. And so these healers that, are just killing them. I think that them, goes right? back to what I was saying about like the feedlot is they're like, they're animals too. So, right. Like our horses, when they're young, they're unpredictable. They change, you know, like I swear good head horses aren't good till they're 13 years old. And I think that goes back to what we're talking about with these Mexicans. When we talk about roping Mexican steers, half the time we get them, they're three to five years old. Like yeah. they're, which is also why they're so hard to, to finish out because right. they're so much older than, right. a, than and like then, a native. Yeah. Steer and when you have a native and you get them to that spot, their body oil grows their horns and they're a feed cow or, you know what I mean? Like that we don't get to rope them the same age that we're roping a large Mexican roping steer at. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, um, the higher dollar like fees ropens, they should try to make that a priority. Or do you think like a less percentage payback if you rope M brands is like a realistic thing to that ropers would even be open to? Or? I don't know. I feel like there's a percentage of the guys that really look at it that would be would be at it, but I feel like it's just uh the open roping I feel like is a tricky deal right now. Like you make the fees high you get the best guys in the world and then nobody else. What about in Arizona? What was it like? It was good. I mean, that place is just amazing though. This year was kind of weird though. They added 16 ropens. Tayo started having some 16 ropens, yeah. which is a great idea because there's so many good guys that rope now, but you could definitely tell that they were split a little bit, like especially Saturday at the Simpson, the Roper Nation roping. They usually get 90 to 120. But Tayos had a really good 16 at the Dynamite Arena. And the shoot, they only got like 50 or 60 teams in the open. Right. But when there wasn't an option to go to a 16 or an open, the opens were great. And uh, how many of those ropens had M brands, you think? I think all of them. All of them did? I'm almost positive. I mean, that seems right. I feel like... Simpsons rope really good Mexicans. Fuller's, uh, they go Mexicans too. Pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty Mike. sure we roped good Mexicans there, and then Tayos had Mexicans. No, that was Tayos was the only one that had natives. Taiwan natives. They were like three hundred and fifty pounds, tiny, tiny horns. Like it was almost like a muley roping. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the. Yeah, that was the only one, and then, um, well, then the good roping also the finale. They go natives, which is crazy, but I don't know when you had that. They've much done money. that for the last couple of years. Yeah. It's just uh, like last year. I know they gave a lot of reruns. And steers were pretty good this year. They weren't sorry like they were last year. Yeah, they're, they're tough, man. They're just pretty, you would like get a five-second cow. Right. Just well, like, they were kind of split this year also. There was some that dirty run and some that were damn sure better, but they weren't any like roped out sorry ones like there was before. I don't even know that a, like, a cattle guy can get native cattle uh, uniform for that many teams. Like, no, there's no way. Like, like they said, there was like a hundred in that set. I mean, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. It's because you can't sort off size no. too much because it's just like my dad, he raises a hundred and something. 
at the house and shoot. There's the first day you break them in, you've got three different sets if you wanted to sort them. Right. Like day one. I mean, I don't know how a guy could do that. Well, and man, I'll, I'll tell you this. We, uh, when we did that match open at um, Clay Logan's, mm -hmm. that day they roped those steers. And uh, they, when they're telling me to set the score, they're like, hey, they were, they were getting after them in the 15, set it real long. And when I said it, I was like, this looks way, way long. I was like, right. these steers must have been so good. And they had just sat all day and burned, well, two, burned two steers. And I was like, hey, I backed it off a foot. I was like, they, they were strong and like pretty. Typical rope and steer, though. You give yeah. them a little bit of fresh air, they're a different cow. Yeah, yeah. So I, and I think that's, that's kind of the hard part is natives at the end of the day change faster than a yeah. Mexican. They're, they're younger. They just don't stand up, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, an Embran, like they might back off a little bit, but it's like the whole herd backs off a little bit, right? right? And I think that's... Yeah, I agree. It's hard. I can imagine being a cattle guy. Such a thankless job. Like that's so hard. Have you, have you met a happy cattle man? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they, uh, they got... <sighs> no, I feel bad for them. They they do way more and producers too. They do so much that right. At, they, and it's only like I feel like some people do a good job, like tell them, hey, great work. Yeah. But when it's bad, I get it when a guy so wants to freak out, and I've done it before. Like I've made a fool of myself. But then you're driving home, you've got to call everybody and tell them sorry. And if you don't feel like that, it's like go put on a couple ropes. Like go be a producer once or twice. And then see how you feel after you make an ass of yourself. Yeah. Because I've done it. You know, I've, I remember I did it at NRS one time. Freaked out. Drove home. Called everybody that I needed to say sorry to. Because I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, I'm like, man, if I was putting on that rope and I seen this guy, like, this is ridiculous. Like, you put on this jackpot. You try to do what I'm doing for you, team ropers. Yeah. And I think the other thing is it's uh, the higher the number roping, the less they make. Right. Yeah. Like just, there's less teams yeah, they don't in an open rope. I mean, and, uh, so yeah, the more, um, uh, more we get upset and, and probably the more picky we are on cattle and things right. like that. So it's, it's, it's slippery because they're, they're sometimes losing money. You what know is what the mean? sport of, the sport of team roping, especially is backwards. It's like the better you get, the less we rope for realistically and the less options that are available. And it's not, I don't know whose fault it is or how it works, but. The 12 and a half paid $270,000 yesterday or the day before ago in Vegas. Yeah. yeah um, there's just not, not the open level getting fed like it needs, well, like just, it needs to in other sports, right? right. Like golf or something. Has. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know where it gets fixed at, honestly. Uh, you know, somebody's got to give up a lot of free money. I think so. Some someone's <laughs> got to give us some free money. I don't know um, who, who it is or who's going to do it, but that's the only thing I could see changing. What happens if a team rubber wins the lottery? Like, can you imagine? Yeah, I'd be a really good golfer, <sighs> dude. <laughs> that's that's going to be if I hit the lottery. That uh, I'll do. Uh, I heard this from a guy one time, and I think I would go ahead and take. We probably partner on this rope, and he's he said he I want to add a million. He was uh, we were in the cattle business at this time and he was mad at open ropers this day so <laughs> he was that. venting to me <laughs> but he's like i'm gonna have a million dollars added at a roping and i'm gonna rope the worst steers possible mm -hmm. and anyone that says anything i'm sending them home yep well that's what kevin schreiner does <laughs> he calls it the he calls it the no bitch jackpot okay in alberta medicine hat weekend every year and it's top two open roping in alberta and 
If you complain, if you throw a fit, anything, don't matter. See you. Don't come back. See you around. Mm-hmm. Man. But, I mean, he, he makes sure that you're not supposed to. Like, we wrote great steers. You wrote. He's trying. Yes. Yep. And him and his dad, George, they're amazing guys. Kevin's one Canada. He's a Canadian champ. He knows what it, it's about. And, yeah, the no bitch is exactly what you think it is. So going back to the rodeo in this summer, and especially I, I didn't, I know like the Canadian rodeos, it's your guys' herd of cattle is really mixed, right? Yeah. It's like you get, you get more like longhorn influence, right? right? And so I just, oh, I'm going to throw that. I don't, I don't really, you know, I, I want to stay on the native topic. <laughs> Did you feel like it sped the rodeos up? Like they got fast, like a lot of the, like, what did that feel like as far as July, August time at, at the rodeos you've seen? Yeah, I don't really know. The hardest part that we have in Canada, well, cows are so expensive, obviously, but we don't have many guys producing. So you don't have options of this guy's going to do these rodeos, this guy's going to do these rodeos. It's Maynard Bird that does pretty much 80% of our rodeos. Right. So like... Now you're, you have one contractor doing probably 40 rodeos a year. So like that guy has to have enough cows to do all of these. And then he wants to save the right amount. So his bid for the Canadian finals is actually relevant. I think that's our hardest deal that we have up there is that it's a one guy job. Like, and it's cause he's the only one that's willing to do it. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, that's the hardest part, but so we have a, we always have like one or two that are we kind of see every weekend sets wise or open steers and there's some older ones that by the time July August comes around try to lengthen the barrier a little bit but I mean it just gets fast on them and it's not easy like they're probably five fifty six hundred pound longhorns big steers I mean it's not fun roping but that's kind of the only option he has because he says his his good little set for the two rodeos and to have a good set at the Canadian finals. Right. And the, the rodeos in the States, the, with like a, more natives and it was almost all natives this yeah. year, right? Like, I mean, it was natives at Tucson two years in a row now. Right. So that's like, and you look at the times from Tucson, it completely changes the rodeo. Up. Yeah. That rodeo was really frustrating roping natives. And then they got over 110 teams. So it was a one and a short. Yeah. It's, it's like, that's just, a bad rodeo. Well, yeah, it's frustrating, right? You got freaking 20 steers that the short round is going to be made on. So, which those going to be 40 guys that get to run those steers. Who's the fastest 12 out of you 40? The other guys, thanks for coming. Yeah. What about the other rodeos as far as like during the summer, like the, you know, just the August time rodeos? What does it feel like as far as two years roping M brands to like this year where? Honestly, I can't really answer that. I wouldn't add enough of them. Or? Well, I didn't really go until the Northwest. Okay. Like, um, I went to Cheyenne and then I went back to Canada just cause we were trying to figure out the whole head horse deal and stuff like that. But I don't really know. It's such a different deal. Like the feeling of a Mexican that when you hit the barrier and they're pulling away from you, right? Like, I mean, they're true. They're honest. They know where they're going. I just think it's such a different roping rather than, knowing a native is going to come up there, put his head down and come back to you or put his head up and run off to the right. Like you just don't really know. I think it's kind of more of a guessing game of where they're going to be. Do you think it makes it easier to find head horses the more like we rope cattle like that? Uh, it just kind of depends on the way you rope, really, I think. I mean, if you're riding, if you're good enough with your rope, 
I think it takes a lot less horse to rope steers like that. Yeah. Huh. Maybe, maybe a guy should just do it that way. <laughs> yeah, don't start that, man. That's a slippery slope. <laughs> do you think a guy can focus on his rope much once he hits a certain level? Like as far as practice schedule goes, um, like let's say you're peaking, right? Like you feel like this is as good as I have roped, right? right. Like those, you hit one of those stages. Do you think if you continue, because you always want to get better. Do you think it's a good idea to focus on anything with your roping at that stage? Or what do you think that looks like to try to stay in, kind of like stay in like peak performance, right? Yeah. But so the practice, like what does the practice, like optimal practice look like then? So that's kind of a tricky deal because everything that I've read about in like sport mentality is your peak performance is almost only capable for X amount of days mentally. So it's like, you need to realize when you're at that spot and know when to push on it and then know when to like let things relax and trust of what you're doing where because obviously you need to try to get better every day but if you're roping good and great like you said you need to realize okay keep this and pick something else like you can't just keep pushing 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 because it's going to break and that's when you fall off of it everything that i've read about you need to you need to know when to hold where you're at and pick something else to pursue Similar to like a boxer or something like they have like a fight camp. Well, it's like, yeah, like your roping out, right? is great. Make your scoring great. Make your riding great. And then keep going back around to it. I mean, you can't just keep staying after the one thing because that's when it breaks. Do you think it breaks because you get like focused on like too many little details or like kind of like well, you kind of get like on a micro level with like what you're I, feeling? I think it at. takes that though to reach the spot. But then it's also what could break it because I think picking one little thing will take away from something else also. Well, I think that's because you, to be in that top tier, you have to obsess, right? right? Like I think to get to a 1% of performance, you have to like yep. obsess. I don't think you can be in the top 1% performance wise in something and then be a top right. like, I've always 10 been curious. something else, right? I need to sit down with him and talk to him about it. But like, Zeke Thurston, I mean, arguably maybe the best bronc rider ever, but for sure the best bronc rider of our generation. If not first, second, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. top top two for sure. Great. That guy, like when he goes home, he works his cows. I mean, he hunts, he does, he calf ropes. Like Zeke Thurston's a calf roping sucker. Hmm. And I know, I mean, he's a professional. He's the best in the world. His mind is obviously always busy about bronc riding right but like does it are you always on your spur board like are you always trying to get more precise precise with something or are you just remembering what you're great at keeping it and then just keep performing that way like that's i feel like team roping is almost bad because it's so easy to practice it's so easy just to load 100 and just rope all day yeah and get on the dummy and start tinkering with something and like well oh, see i, I think tinkering is good but i think when you get in when you get in a bind is when you just run 100 to run 100 that's when bad habits are created when you're just roping just to say you're roping just to see how fast you can throw it there's times and a place for it but then there's also a time and a place to go slow on the dummy thinking about actual movements actual mechanical parts of your loop actual 
things that matter when you are pushing. What's the right amount to run, you think? I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't think not. I mean, I haven't ran enough. You know, I'm sitting here talking to you, not out there. But yeah. um, I feel, I do feel like it is a slippery slope because that is when bad habits are created is just rope and rope, right? I mean, there has to be a time where you're actually thinking and pursuing something, not just backing in there half-assed scoring the cow and throwing your whole rope. Like that's going to come back and bite you in the tail at some point. Do you think it's got to be like a mental process that has to be duplicated? Like, a, like, yeah, I think you have to practice like you compete 100%. And as soon as that lacks. Yeah. Then you're, then you're wasting time. Right. If you can run a hundred and be mentally peak a hundred every day, then absolutely. Yep. And I think that's, it's possible, but it's, uh, yeah, hundred might not have been a high enough number, but well, I think the, there's a few things in there, right? Though, if you run a hundred, but you only have five good head horses, and then you've got five practice right. horses. Well, those practice horses probably don't feel nothing like what it's going to feel like. Yeah. But of, then I, know. it's kind of a slippery slope because you also have to be able just to catch no matter what. So there is, there is like the fun side of it also of figuring out what you can pull off of and where you can pull it off from. But I do feel like when you are on your good stuff, truly practicing, if you're not at your peak mental side of things, then it's not real. I think we, the, the one thing that, I don't know for me, if it's just like this for me, but I feel like I get the most out of it was like there's two types of practice. There's one where like I'm making a run and I'm going to go run about 20 or 25 steers, ride four or five head horses. Mm -hmm. And I make the run and I do exactly what I wanted to do. And I, and those days, and then I don't really think about that practice much. Like, right. it's just like, I remember what it feels like. I'll, you know, you just constantly throughout the days, you kind of run it through your head. But then there's times where if I run a lot of steers or if something happens in one of the two of those runs that like I start thinking about, and I feel like that's where I get better is actually that night when I start thinking about that or right. like just whenever it is, it just kind of pops in my head and I'm like, oh, that's what, that's what I could have done. Like it can be, it's something as easy as like why, like if I like started waving it off, like some small horn steers or whatever, like right. it, it just like a feel, right? I feel like I get the most out of it. Well, I guess I'll start with in all the books that I've read and the classes that I've took it, everybody that you've listened to that I've talked to, they say like, whenever you make a run, okay. You have, when you get the flag or you finish the run, there's 10 things going through your mind, right. Of what it felt like this, that, what you could have done better, what was good. Everything that I've read, it says the first thing that pops in your mind is the only thing that you need to focus on in the next one. So like if I, okay, today, for instance, I have a little Bramer buck and bull. She's got little up horns. She's strong. I really, really like this cow and I popped it off the right today. And the first thing I thought of was, was I need to bring my, bring my back strand, my bottom strand back off the steer's head, get more underneath the eyes, get a deeper catch. Right. But then I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, my horse kind of felt a little leaky. I don't know about this. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We brought her back. I did the exact same thing. I only focused on the first thing that came to my mind was bringing my bottom strand back off the steer's head. I caught her. It's like, fix that. Now we go run another one, find something else to be relevant with. 
I mean, I I think that's something to like the more I think about it, the more like yeah, that does make sense. It just feels like the more you think about little things is when you're kind of searching. And then the more you search, the more you find. The first thing is always the thing that absolutely needs to be fixed. Damn, I like that. And when you fix it, then we run another one and figure that out. Well, and I think that that takes it to like especially rodeo and if you're kind of struggling or something's going on like i notice it the most competing yeah like especially I, in july when you don't have a practice pin yeah you're kind of and you're like gosh my horse isn't scoring my horse is ducking maybe my right stirrup's too long right like there's longer spurs shorter spurs you're driving and it's yeah. just like keep coming right yeah. like this and this and this and it's it's so much simpler for me i run one steer that needs fixed let's fix it tomorrow when we rope this cow fix that next thing it's just like it doesn't let you spiral out of control it's just keeps your emotions much more intact is one thing that i have learned for me personally i mean maybe i'm super mentally incapable of other things like maybe i'm so simple that i need one thing but i don't know because for me personally that is what works well what about just the other side of that though the like hey it just is what it is like just go to the next one and like focus. <laughs> There's on the guys that are super good at that. Like, yeah, I'll put them on. I'll put them on blast. My buddy Kyle Lucas is the best at that. His dad has been good at that. Smoking Joe Lucas. I mean, they were so good at that. Like mentally strong. Like Joe Lucas used to dump rope cans of ropes out. Like I rope too good for these for that. Like it's the ropes fault. Yeah. I can't do that. I don't know why. And I think there's a lot to it. Like there's a lot to not going backwards mentally. I think that's huge because we're our biggest critics, right? Like I can sit here and be so hard on myself that when I leave, I'm actually 10 steps further away from my goal than where I need to be all because of what I've said to myself personally. Right. So I think there's a lot to it. It's just, I need, when something's not right, I need to know I can fix it. Like I need to know that I fixed it. And that gives me more confidence for my next year. I think that's a, a I don't know. I, I wonder about that line. Like for me, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I think that's the key though, right? Is knowing your own, like how you operate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think I've tried both a little bit. I have too. And the <laughs> other way is I think I went so extreme at it that it was like, I'll get the next one. It's yeah. like, well, no, you ain't. You ain't got the last five. Like, I mean, you missed the last five the same way. Like, you can't just say, I'll get the next one. Like, let's fix this problem that we obviously have and be ready for the next year. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is if it's like, because I think where I go is there's some good cuts that just miss. And I think that's the one thing is being able to live with those good cuts that you're taking and not change throughout those. Like, so no, that, like that, that felt good. So how do it I'm again. Like listening to you talk is that's exactly how the one problem keeps that intact where you scored, you rode your horse, you give yourself a great opportunity. No, what was the one thing that we missed where it's easy to go? You scored, you roped, you hit the barrier, but you missed. And now it's easy to bring it all the way back and take away from the things you've done great because you're searching for the problem. Yep. It's just, you already know what it is. Like, stop searching. It's the first thing you thought of. Let's fix it and then carry on. Right. 
No, I, I think it's uh, dissecting your thoughts <laughs> like that because it, it, it's so true. You want to go down the, the rabbit hole, especially when you get some time because then you get watch the run back and like, oh, I felt this and right. I felt this and maybe this will create. And you, you kind of start grasping it like when it was good at like what was working. Yep. And I think that's like the, the two keys to it, right? You don't want to... Um, mess one up because you're trying to fix like rope the last steer on a different steer yeah. right like you're trying to do something like like for example like if you're talking about like bringing your bottom strand back a little bit like rope them deeper like if that becomes a focus on a big horn steer and it's he's a loper right there and mm -hmm. you, you do something like kind of split the horns or kind of click it you know what i mean like hit him in the back of the head doing something like that you're right. like well you just you took that problem and created a new problem yep. right and then it takes you further away and i think i think that's the line right is being able to to know those little changes and know yourself but i think that's where the practice like those are the, the things. real practice yes that's yep. once once you hit a certain level of roping or i think just anything i think those are the micro things and and i think it's what makes like the best healers in the world so great like mm -hmm. i think the the best headers like they they're just they can make adjustments so fast. Like I said this a few times, but like Jade last year at the NFR, I thought those steers hit really fast. They were, they looked so hard to heal last year. And I think he roped a leg kind of early. And then it was just like, you could just see, I don't know if it's got a little more rope speed or whatever right. he did, like whatever changed, but he like, he fixed it. And it's like, guys like that, they like, they don't really make mistakes like that. They're like, they're like prepared yeah. for it because they haven't seen it. And I think that's, and that's I, like, and then going back to saying like where I was saying you rope too much, like when that guy used to rope, like he was mentally sharp on every steer. If he run a hundred a day, that dude was mentally sharp on a hundred steers a day. And I think, yeah, like, like you said, being able to make quick adjustments takes taking or being able to do that takes making real runs, right? Like yeah. putting yourself in those situations. So I don't know. I just kind of felt like I needed to go back on that. Like obviously runs are important. Real runs are important, but the real mental presence is the most important part in every situation. Well, I think it's optimization mm -hmm. at the end of it. Right. Cause if the more you can focus and the more like mentally you're Right. there in your practice session like present in your practice session i think that just creates the right because like on his podcast with you like all he talked about is how much he roped right and yeah and i don't know the answer on steers like how many yeah, I should the run. number who knows what I, I think the like the mastery like i think that's if someone's like trying to achieve mastery like our good rule of thumb is ten thousand hours right and i think that's like there's a few good books about that. Yep. Um, but anyways, I think if you go down that road. But that ain't just like, if you're trying to be the best golfer, you're not just standing there swinging your golf club 10,000 hours. Yeah. Like you are mentally invested in those 10,000 hours. Well, I think what happens, and this is, um, I think Robert Greene wrote this book. I think it's called Mastery by Robert Greene, but I, I could be wrong. But uh, he he talks about like, once you like the tinkering starts coming into play mm -hmm. and i think that's where like this creativity happens right and that's where you start to see people change mm -hmm. then like actually become like 
great at something that like changes the sport or changes whatever the field that they're in. Right. And I think that's why the tinkering you said earlier was so good because if you've got enough time to sit there and tinker, you like you start figuring out, Oh, if I do this, it does that. And, and then it just, there's no real like tried and true way, but I think it like connects the dots yep. to, to doing. It answers the searching. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you got answers yeah. for it. And I like Jade, I think I always just go back to him because I think he's one of the guys that I've, I've spent a little bit of time with and got to do some stuff with like X Factor. But like, I think he's pretty close to that, like mastery. I think you could say that mm -hmm. pretty safely. Like he'd probably feel like he doesn't, but you know what I mean? I think of all the people we've seen, it's probably him. And then I think the last healer might've been play coop or something like that right. that was close to it you know what i mean yeah, and champ. that's it just doesn't happen very often right that you get someone that can obsess over it and like tinker and just and find all these ways and i think that's essentially like it's great but it's also that's a like it's scary man to go down that because it's like it means you're going to try new things and you're going to like take big steps back more than likely so it's like you got to be where yeah. what's going on in your mind because yeah, i think, I think it can get tough. to get to be okay with trying the new sides of stuff you have to be super super like stable on knowing what you are capable of at that level like knowing this is where i'm at i'm gonna feel like i'm back here sometimes but i know i can go back to this like knowing that that line is always reachable yep and i think I mean, what do you feel about this as far as like, if you're wanting to get to a uh, kind of that higher level, like, I think it's finding your run, right? Um, and, I, and I look at it from like this standpoint, I think there's like a lot of uh, form things like being like real correct and, and doing stuff like that, right? Like you, you should probably focus on when you're like first learning and, yeah. and doing it, but at some point, I think you got to be able to shut all that off and not like really care what it looks like and kind of only focus on what it feels like. Yeah, so I have a funny perspective on that, but I think, like, I think if Hunter Cook showed up to the NFR this year and swung his rope backwards and healed 10 for 10 and kept doing that, then why isn't that right? Right? Like, so the just because it- The next three and under rope would be a disaster. <laughs> well, I'm just saying this, like, just because- it is proper if your deal is weird and it works every time why isn't your way proper yeah it's super i feel like a lot of people lose their natural ability trying to be proper what's well, like proper has only been discovered because someone was really good at it that way dude i think that is the, the biggest gold nugget like someone could hear at the that stage when they start working at something when they start copying someone and like, this is the way this is. No, like I said earlier, there's 15 guys that their head loops hit 15 different ways. I mean, yeah, we all know one way works, but it's because whoever it was, you know, I think of Jake Barnes, but whoever was before Jake Barnes, it worked that way. Like whatever we think is proper is because it worked best for somebody. I mean, somebody could watch Tanner Tomlinson when he was 15 and said, man, you got to change your style. That dude didn't, and now he's great, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the key, right? And then then knowing like you're gonna be riding the lines and, and the tinkering and like, yeah. all right, how do we get these uh get the angles and like actually get into the that and I think that's where you like start 
it becomes a craft at that right. point, right? Like you're you're going down that that kind of that path with it. But I think first you have to try to harness your natural talent yeah. with correct form. Correct. And dude, I don't know the answer to this, but I would try to like, if it were me and I was like learning something over again, I would really try to watch a couple of guys that I thought really did it right. good. I don't know what you, but it really changed my perspective when I became a dad. Yeah. Cause I'm sitting there, I'm thinking crew, my boy, I'm like, what am I going to do when crew wants to learn how to rope? Right? Like, obviously there's the properness of it, but when I think of teaching people how to rope, it's almost like teaching or training horses. Like I almost think it has to be so boring for you because you're so good at it before you push something else. Or like you see like Nanton Parrish, when he was a young boy, that dude could run a million steers, run up there, like never miss. And now he's pushing and now he's a great header, right? Like I think every good head horse I've rode, it feels boring to them, right? Because they're so good at it. So somebody put the time in to make it so simple and so boring for them that their job is just undeniable. This is what I'm doing. And that's how I think pushing or getting better at roping or anything like one step has to be so simple, so boring to you, then become great at something like keep advancing when it gets in that. I feel like that is just I guess I can say that because that feel like me personally, I wish I would have done that more as a kid, like stop trying to be the greatest before I'm even at this spot. Like, I feel like it's hindered me bad because when I fall back, I keep searching when I fall back rather than only drop into like the last level of what I become good at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like essentially, like if you just put it in like where you could throw your rope at, right? Like, yeah. Hey, you're great at running to the hip and then it's all right now yeah, this I'm is go boring like i can if you want me to catch this one for a million dollars like Got okay it. now i'm gonna try something else a little further back maybe yeah. less swings maybe on your way in i wish i would have done more yeah. of that yeah and and then just keep doing it and doing it and doing it that yeah. i think that's kind of the i think that's so so important but then it's also when you start competing is understanding like well there's competition and there's what I need to maybe advance, right? right? And when you start blending those, that might lead to a lot of losses. And that might lead to like, all right, I'm, I'm kind of learning this new new shot that yeah. I want to add to my game and, and being comfortable with that. I think but I think that like, if you look at it with a true, you know, like a professional mindset, it's like, put yourself in situations where you can do your stuff. Like if you're a five or a six header, Put yourself in the situations till you master the 12, until they tell you you can't rope in those ropings anymore, then do the next stuff. Yeah. I really feel like, like the buddy of mine that's living at my house right now, I always talk to him about that. He's super, super talented, like as good as a, with a head rope as you could be, but he's a six plus header and he tries to head like a nine. It's like, let's get the six plus part boring. Like let's, let's go to 12s and 13s. Let's master that. Let, let them pay you. And then... When they tell you you are too good for that, that's let then let's advance, right? Like let's at least get good at this stage of where we're at. Yeah, I I think that's well, there's a lot there to unpack. Um I, I kind of I had an experience like that a little bit in in Vegas quite a long time ago. Um back when they like had the world I don't even know that they had like the it's like the first year maybe of the fifteen World Series. I think I was a seven header. But I had lots of like 
I got in the 15s with some really good partners. Right. And going out there, and there was a lot of teams, a couple hundred teams, but I won a few of the Ropens or placed in the top couple of like places. Yep. And what I learned was I had this run that was so easy to make. And as soon as we got a little bit behind, I could just press and get right back in the rope. And it was like, it was weird feeling that, but it was like, and then it kind of clicked. I was like, all right, well, we were, we were like one, one of the, at the finale, I think we were like eight on our second or third steer. Right. I think it was the second steer. So we were like a six and an eight. And I felt like, man, we're, we probably need to be six to even have a top four or five call. And I thought a lot of like people might just go knock that one down and take the, the 20th call back or yeah. whatever you're going to get. And I just remember pressing, going to being probably like short six. And then I kind of roping your way back into the roping. But what it taught me was like, all right, I know that I can do this in this roping. I did it all week. I've done it quite a few times. I've, I've done it for a few months at that point. Yeah. And I, I just hit me. I was like, is this maybe what Clay Tryon feels like in an open roping? Right. Like he has an answer to feeling a little bit behind in the times. And it's like, I think you can apply those things that you learn maybe in a lower number to open into the next level. 100%. There's the, everything we do in life has steps and there's steps for that reason, right? Like fundamentals are taught before the tinkering is taught. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're saying, right? Like, yeah. It's just like knowing what it takes to win at yeah. that level. Like, hey, this is. This is what happens. And then when you do have some tough steers in there, being able to survive those and then knowing when to press and then knowing when to just keep it easy yep. and like learning that risk. And, and I think that's, uh, that's essentially like that's winning at the end of the day, yes. right? We just figure out how to win. Well, but. I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, how many times on like a realistic number, how many times has the best guys in the world beat you without you beating yourself? Yeah, it doesn't happen as much as you think. hardly ever. I bet you you could count it pretty easily. Where there was times where you got through a roping as good as you think you capably could, and then you didn't win nothing. Like I bet you it's not hardly any times. Yeah. But we always try to do too much, not knowing how to win, trying to follow their suit and taking ourselves out of the roping. Like I I remember there's times where it's like I got beat today. And that's totally different than driving home, beating yourself. Yeah. Um, the mentality is like not, like not for long, right? Like when it's you under 20. My number at rodeos is under 20, where I've caught steers and haven't won money clean. I've caught a lot more that haven't won. Money. But I'm just saying, like me personally, <laughs> like that's ridiculous. Like these guys just show up and they're, I'm beating myself. Yeah. Like that. Here, just have my money, right? Like, yeah. take it. Yeah. I mean, rodeo, maybe it happens a little bit more. Jackpotting almost very rarely does. I like it's easy for me to say roping because my roping used to be so kamikaze. Like, when I did catch, yeah, we won, right? So, like, my that's I know that number because I know my runs I used to make. And when I did catch, I always won. I, I got a funny story for you just right quick. I was thinking about this. <laughs> uh, I was at Filer through the low perf, very first perf and something like funky happened in the run. Like I had, like he kind of checked off right. and I had to like take one more swing. So I, I, I three swing him and we're five flat and I get out of the arena and I'm sad. I'm like, 
these tears just low. <laughs> Someone's like, oh, how did you do it? And I was like, I was winning the rodeo after the perfect. Like, how do you do? I was like, oh, good. Like, <laughs> and I, like, yeah. I just like, I, I like, I wasn't even trying to be like dramatic. I was just be like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't win anything. Right. <laughs> and like, and maybe I, and I thought maybe it could win like my fees back, yeah. but it didn't win anything, you know? And you're like, but that's, um, but I also didn't make a good run. Like mm -hmm. I knew I like, you know what I mean? But you win your five flat and you're like, yeah, yeah I don't win anything. <laughs> but it's just, it's, I think it's funny how often there's two ways to look at getting beat. Like, did you actually get beat or did you beat yourself? Yeah. Like right there, I beat myself, right? Yeah. I had a great steer, took a, the wrong cut. Like right. I knew where to throw in the arena to win something. I really think about that jackpotting. Like when I think of my numbers or my percentages, it's like, man, these guys are good, but I'm bad, right? Like I beat myself a lot. I mean, that's when the freakouts happen. When you know, like, <laughs> dude, I I can't I can't miss this steer. You know what I mean? Oh, when you, you know, like when that. you know the numbers, and well, no, like when you do, like when you miss that steer, you're like, right. oh, I like everything was setting up for me perfectly, and then I just made a <laughs> like a dumb mistake. Right. That's that's when I lose it. That's just something I really think about daily when I'm practicing. It was like, like I did it today. I mentally freaked out i was just on a nice little mare that i have i run a decent steer she stepped this mare just kind of got a little narrow and i split the horns i'm like man you can't do that like i'm just i'm running a normal cow and i just split the horns like i beat myself again right there like they didn't have to show up to beat me i mean i just lost right like something that i really go through i have been a lot lately especially in the last year probably just being more self-aware of when I do get beat or when I'm beating myself. Yeah. And then maybe try to get to the why. Like, well, hey, that's obviously that yeah. happens. Yeah. That instantly. Happens instantly. Cause but, then I think, I think you have to be aware of that because getting beat, like I'm saying getting beat, like I show up, Clay Smith beats me. I catch five. He beats me. Okay. But now I think about where I need to be better, right? Like where did I waste my motions at? When I get beat, it's like, what is fun to, when I beat myself, it's like, where did I go fundamentally wrong? Like there's something wrong in my roping for me not to allow to finish the course. Right. So I feel like you have to kind of be aware of it for what you're searching for. Yeah. Well, and I think too, is if a guy gets beat by like a Clay Smith, like actual beat, like you guys both lay down four or five steers right. and he's way faster. It's like, there's two things that can happen. One, you like, I got a pretty clear roadmap, like what it's going to take. Cause yep. you like, can look at the, like what he's doing, try yep. to pick up on the things. Or it's also like, man, this guy's a warrior. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's who I, you got I gotta, actually get a lot of confidence out of it. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't like talking like this, but I get a lot of confidence out of that where if I do rope a good rope and, and they barely beat me, it's like, man, I know what, where I went wrong. Like, it feels reachable, right? Like that, that is one thing that I do look for where it's like, I didn't beat myself. And it's just that one, like I can get that. You know what yeah, I mean? Kind of get down to those one or two little well, mistakes. It's just where and, the steps happen, where they yeah. went wrong. But then when I start beating myself, it's like, that's frustrating, you know, cause no matter who you are, if you're just bought your USTRC card and I go out there and I miss, you beat me. Like it don't matter who I'm roping against there's, you could still beat me when I screw up like that. So to really simplify, just catch. And then at the end of the day, that is the catch. only thing that matters. You have to catch the cow. <laughs> Got to catch. And then if you don't win anything, 
you'll probably have a good idea why. <laughs> yeah. the, the first thing, the, the rule of thumb is you have to turn the cow. It's crazy that we've made it so complicated. Oh my gosh, dude, my dad, he always tells me that. It drives me crazy, but he always says, go make your healer a winner today. Yeah. That's all you're there for. Go, go make your healer a winner. Go make him a winner. Don't think you're special. You're just going to go make your healer a winner. That's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, do we need to cover anything else with this NFR that's going on? Them guys are amazing, dude. That perf this morning was awesome. Yeah. No, too bad no one was there to see it. I, in fact, I pulled up my phone. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, Eric, I was like Eric, Eric and Paul are three, five, <laughs> right? Three, Caleb, six. Caleb Smith, six, eight. Yeah. Man, that's. I was talking to Zeke at the South Point. He's like, I don't know what what if somebody's ninety five. Like, do you throw your hat? I mean, do, are people going to be? Does it feel like slack? <laughs> yeah, I I was hoping they're going to have the secretary. You know, like up next, Ren and Jerry. Like, <laughs> Dude, I thought that'd been cool. But they it looked like a production still. They still had music and stuff. They should have. And at they the end of the day, it paid thirty thousand. I know they should have let fans in though. I I I was thinking about this like. I think it sounds so nice to go to a perf during the middle of the day. What did you see on social media? All the wives were so happy they got to wear their comfy clothes to the perf. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I thought it was cool. I don't know the guy's name or exactly what he position he holds, but they did say on the Cowboy Channel they opened it up for family, um, sponsors, like number one media, and then they did open the doors to all the university students that were still there. Okay. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Sucks that it happened, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that other than it's terrible. And uh glad it didn't affect the rodeo like too terribly. Right. You know what I mean? You yep. you don't want to see things like that um affect like have a huge negative impact, you know. For sure. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you doing the podcast. I know uh, like I said, I was just I just want to cut it up a little bit tonight. So that was good. Thank you. Appreciate it.